Um, again, we're part of something new that the Lord is doing. And though it's slightly daunting, we are opening up a new chapter in our lives individually. And uh, <clears throat> more importantly, we're opening up our lives for the unfolding story of God in this particular area in which we live, in Lurgan, Portadown, Craigavon. And, um, and we've been here now for five weeks. This is our sixth week, I think. We we had the Sundays in December to, um, to to get into the place and get a feel for the place and understand what the Lord maybe wanted us to do and just to learn little practicalities, which we still are doing. But we always thought that January would be a great time just to share a little bit of vision and values and how we started to think that God is maybe leading us forward and where he, he's taken us. Uh, and so this morning, I wanted to take some time to, to talk to you a little bit around who we really are and how we got here. We can't really fully know where we're going unless we, we know who we are. And, and so you probably need to know a little bit of the, the story. Some of you know quite a bit of that. Some of you know very little about that. And so um, sorry if, if some of this morning is a little bit repetitive for some of you, but I just think it's really important for us all to be on the same page because our story I believe is particularly unique. I think it has spiritual significance, our story to date for how we go forward Um, and even as I prepared for today I felt the Lord impress that upon my heart even more and I think it's really important that each of us know how to articulate our story. The Bible says in Psalms, let the redeemed of the Lord say so or you could translate let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. There's something in being able to articulate your story individually that the enemy hates. Right? He wants to silence your voice and the goodness and the grace of God in your life. And even corporately, it's important that we tell our, our story in a humble way and um, uh, in a meek way, but important nonetheless. Uh, there's a quote on the screen from a guy called Ivan Illich, and he says this, If you want to change a society, then you have to tell them an alternative story. We have to tell a different story. We have a different story as the people of God. We're part of a big, beautiful story that's been unfolding from the beginning of time. And if we know our story, then we can tell our story. And even here, specifically and uniquely, and uh, poured it down, and what God's doing amongst us as a church, we have a story. I think our story is a bit like one of those movies that you watch, where there's a number of different threads that have been developing, and you're not quite sure how this relates to the other story. I, I don't know if you're one of those people when you watch a movie that you just ask questions, you know, like who's who's that? What's he got to do with her? Or why? What's what? I don't understand what's going on here, and and um. Your, your, your partner, whoever you're watching it, might, has to, might have to say something along. Would you just give over and, and watch the film and it'll, it'll, it'll play itself out? And I think our story's kind of been a little bit like that. There's a few things that have been going on. If you were watching it like a movie the last 10, 20 years, it would look slightly cryptic. You're not quite sure how different parts and different protagonists in the movie weave together. But somewhere in the, in the midst of all that, there's been an author, there's been a film director, there's been somebody who knows where the thing's going, and you're a little bit at the behest of him to watch how the story unfolds, and you anticipate how it's going to come together. And I think that's, as I step back and look at it, a little bit more, hopefully, through the eyes of the Lord, how we see it. And so my aim for today is to try and tell a little bit of that story, and get us, if you like, the base camp. Many of us have been part of the vision that we feel God is cementing in our hearts here for a long time, actually. We've just been going maybe up different trails, but I think we're sort of a base camp, and there's still a mountain to scale, there's still things to be won, and battles to be fought, and places to go, but we've got somewhere, and uh, it's important that, if you like, we regroup at base camp for the journey ahead but I want to try and get us there this morning. First, that's my aim. We need to be of one mind if we're going to understand who we are and where we're going. The first, I love in Philippians chapter 3, um, it, it tells us just before I read this verse, that this is the pit just after Paul says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to the goal. And then he says this, this is King James, because <laughs> I like the translation. So what us preachers do. We just pick the translation we like the best to make a point. Don't tell anybody, okay? Ne- never, nevertheless, where to we have already attained, 
let us walk by the same rule or let us mind the same thing, right? So Paul has already just said, I'm not really focusing on those things that are behind. I'm pressing forward towards the goal. But then he says, nevertheless, what we have attained, let's not forget the battles that we have fought. Let's not forget where we have come from, the things that we have walked through. And let us then be of the same mind. Let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. And it's important in the body of Christ that there's a one-mindedness, a unity in diversity. Not all clones thinking and doing the same things necessarily, but people from different backgrounds all in a common pursuit of the things that God has placed in their heart for the towns and cities in which they are part of. And I I think that God wants to start drawing us into a one-mindedness, walking by the same rule and um, having the same mind. And so part of the way that we want to tell our story and preach over the next number of months is out and framed around the book of Nehemiah. It's a book in the Bible that we feel the Lord speaking to us at the moment through, and we think the Holy Spirit's illuminating things and will continue to. And so maybe, actually in your own time, it might be good just to read the book of Nehemiah because we'll be referring to it loads over the next wee while. But um, this morning, I just want to bring a couple of verses from it. And, uh, <clears throat> and Nehemiah is a book, just really briefly, that's set in what's called in the Bible post-exile times. And what that means is... Uh, if, if you know a little bit of the story of the Bible, there was a particular point in time where God <clears throat> had to allow the Israelites to be taken into captivity because of their continued disobedience. And they were taken off to Babylon and they were there for 70 years. And some of the Jews did relatively well, particularly those who were smart and intelligent, people like Daniel and others. And Nehemiah seems to be one of those guys. It actually tells us in the first few verses that he was a cupbearer to the king. So he did rightly, didn't he? If he was serving the king, he must have got right up into the sort of upper echelons of society in Babylon. But at that point, um, many of them were allowed to return back to Babylon. Some of them, or sorry, to Jerusalem. Some of them did return and some of them didn't return. And Nehemiah has done well for himself, so he doesn't probably need to return. Why would you go back to a broken field city whose walls are all crumbled down if you're cupbearer to the king and enjoying all the privileges that one could enjoy there? But something's going on in Nehemiah's heart. He starts to get curious about the story of God, that other story, that alternative story. And he starts to think about it. And he's stirred about it and he starts to ask questions about the state of it. And it tells us here in verses 3 and 4, this is what it said after he asks about it. And they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Note that word reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears that the city of his birth, the place that he loves, is in a desperate state. It's not only in great affliction, but it's suffering a reproach. What does reproach mean? I'm going to go into this in a moment. But it's kind of like a byword. Nehemiah is not prepared to let this continue. As the book unfolds, something happens in his heart. He starts to get pierced in his heart. It seems that he starts to feel in his own heart about Jerusalem what God is feeling about the city of Jerusalem. He enters into the pain and the pathos and the brokenness of what God is feeling about the city. And it moves Nehemiah, first of all, to his knees. He weeps. He starts to fast and pray. And then it moves him to action. He starts to do something about it. And so when our hearts are soft to the Lord, that's what happens, isn't it? He moves us. It shakes us inside and eventually moves us outside. And so Nehemiah moves out of this place of privilege and out of this place of comfort and out of this place of the palace to the mess and the brokenness of the city of Jerusalem. When God breaks your heart for something, you can't stay where you are. When God gets a grip of your heart and you start to feel what he feels for things, it moves you out of a place of comfort, or it should. 
And so Nehemiah is not prepared to allow the city's original and divine purposes to be lost and stolen. He's going to do something about it. And we'll look at some of those over the next number of months. But for a minute or two, I want you to be concerned with me for Nehemiah's passion for the reproach that's on the city. Reproach is an interesting thing. Sonia, could you get me a wee glass of water? Sorry, I'm croaking a wee bit here. <clears throat> reproach, is a, reproach is an interesting thing. It's not just shame, and it's not just guilt, okay? We, we've all felt guilty about stuff, and we've all felt maybe shame for stuff as well. Thank you, Sonia. Thank you. Well, this, this pulpit's even got a wee thing for your glass, and <laughs> never had one of those before. <laughs> <coughs> I want to talk to you a minute about reproach, first individually and collectively, because this is what Jerusalem is in. It's, it's become a reproach. Reproach is an accusing slur that has become so repetitive that it's become the normal for a person's identity. The one receiving reproach, it's become set in stone in their understanding of who they are. It's from the pit of hell. Because the enemy is the accuser, and he mocks at us. He laughs at us. He's a mocker. He's an accuser. And he tries to get us locked into a sense of understanding who we are that is not true. He binds people up with a sense of shame that gets you to look at yourself continually in a negative way. And so it's bad enough that we may feel shame which means we've internalized a critical gaze on ourselves, but reproach is when I think that is emphasized by outside sources as well. So we start to feel the shame in a way that feels like we're carrying something around that our whole identity has been locked in. And that's indicative of what many of us feel with our lives. The enemy wants to push us into a corner and wants us to carry around a sense of reproach, a general feeling of shame that just attaches to who we are. And not only does he want to feel that individually, he wants to put this on a city. And Kragavan over the years has carried a, a reproach. It's been known as a, as a failed city, a city that didn't work. It's never actually had city status because it doesn't really work in that way. It's the butt of many jokes. And even within Kurgavan, we've become a reproach to one another. Lurgan has become a reproach in Portadown. Portadown has become a reproach in Lurgan. Some of it's banter and fun and all of that, which is great. But we've actually started to do that on one another and one another's towns, and one another's lives in different parts of the, t- the wider area. Both have become a reproach to one another. This is funny, but it's kind of not funny if you put up this next slide. Did you ever see this one going around Facebook from the Lion King? It's probably somebody from Portadown put it up. But when I, when I saw this, part of me laughed, and then another part of me felt sad. <laughs> part of me felt that's the town I grew up in that's the schools I went to it's a football club I supported <laughs> and I don't really want to live my life if my kids are going to be brought up in this area carrying that reproach I want to do something about that I don't want that to be the legacy that I leave behind I want to under my watch, and in where God has called me to do something about that, to help remove that reproach. And the great news is that God does not like reproach. And not only does he not like it, he does something about it. He rolls reproach away. In the Old Testament, just quickly to refer to it, there's a great passage in the book of Joshua. And God brings them, because they were slaves, through, out of Egypt, into the promised land, and then, with the new generation, in sorry, over the Jordan into the promised land. And he says to them, before they take any of the new land, he says this to them, there's a moment here. Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt to you. And so the name of that place was called Gilgal to this day. That's what Gilgal means, rolling away. 
God rolls away reproach. He takes it away. And he said to these these um, children of Israel who were the sons and daughters of the slave people, no longer will you be called slaves. No longer are you going to live from a slavery mindset. No longer will you be orphans. But now you're going to be my sons and daughters, and that's how you're going to live. Because if you don't think like a son, you won't live like a son. If you think like a slave, you will live like a slave. If you're bound by reproach, you will live with reproach. And God wants to rule that away from our lives individually. And if we can get that, then he wants to rule it away from us as a city. And even more fully, Jesus did it on the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. He despised the shame. He took all the taunts. He took all the reproach. Surely you're the son of God. If you're the son of God, why don't you throw yourself? He took it all. He took all the mocking, all the cursing, all the making fun of, all the jeers, all the taunts, left alone on his own. All his friends deserted him on the cross. And he did it all for us so that any reproach that we feel can be rolled away. We don't have to carry shame for what we've done or for the way we just feel about ourselves. Jesus rolls that kind of stuff away on the cross. This is why he went to those lengths, for the joy set before him. Don't let the work of the cross be in vain over your life. Jesus didn't save you just to get you out of hell and for you to feel awful about yourself the rest of your life. He died on the cross so that you'd be freed from condemnation, liberated into full sonship, and live your life as a fully loved son and daughter. He rolls away shame. And we can't be a people that are going to deal with this over our city if we don't deal with it in our lives individually and press in to all that the Lord has for us because of that. And so, back to our story. Here in uh, Emmanuel, Porta Down, like Nehemiah, over the years, we've sensed the Lord speaking and agitating us around the reproach that's on this area. And we want to do something about it. And so very quickly, my story and the story of Emmanuel Lurgan, if you like, started because we felt that God just wanted us to help broken people in our area and to be a people passionate for Jesus. And God started to break our hearts as the years went by for greater things. We, we were just trying to be faithful at the start, but then it, we started to realize we were getting caught up in something. There was a purpose in our town and in our wider area, and we started to, how can we rewrite this story? How can we, how can we change this narrative that's over our area? Could we dream of a day when people would want to come to Lurgan and port it down in Kurgavan because of what the Lord is doing? Could there be a day when we're not a byword, or we're not made fun of, but we're, we're a people where God has broken through and the kingdom has come. And that would be known around the world. I know it sounds stupid, but we were just stupid enough to start believing it. And, and God started to move. And so we wanted to learn how to be a people longing to rewrite the narrative of our city. Believing that God could change the script. If we were a people empowered by the Holy Spirit, willing to lay our lives down for a cause to bring life to the city in all spheres of influence. We realized we weren't going to do that by simply building a big church or creating a cool event on a Sunday or building some kind of empire under ourselves. We were only going to do that if we learned how to be a genuine movement of people empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be everyday missionaries wherever we lived our lives and to carry his presence, to believe the dreams of God for the awakening of his kingdom kingdom in our, in our city and to be a family on mission about the welfare, seeking the welfare and the goodness of the area which we lived. And as we saw that happen, we started to see uh, God increase and enlarge our hearts for the nation. I'm just going to quickly scar over some stuff here and uh, I'll come back to it in a moment. And we, uh, we felt the Lord start to speak to us. This word to bar is the Irish word for wells. Um, uh, that's why you got like places like Tobermore or Tober Uni, where Chris lives, and places like that. That Irish word, uh, Tobar, is the word for well or spring. And we felt the Lord speak to us over the years about an awakening of his presence all around the nation. Um, that's what we're living for. I don't know if we're going to see it or not. I can't predict that. But I'm going to live my life hoping that I will see one. And I wouldn't want to be doing anything else if we weren't doing this, to see God's presence come. And we think that the Lord wants to do that by reopening new wells, 
churches springing up in some of the most broken parts of the world, of, of the land, sorry. And we also want to see um, old wells reopened. We feel if there's going to be um, a, a revival and an awakening of God in the land, it's going to be both an unblocking of old wells, our friends and many of the denominations and churches that have been around for a lot longer than us, and new wells that are going to be opened up. And so God has enlarged our heart for the nation. But as well as that, we feel that in order to do that, God has called us to be a, like a, 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 what we would call a resource church or a, an apostolic hub. And we, we, we found this in, in Lurgan over the last number of years, and we've been trying to put some definition to that. And, and suffice to say, just for now, I'll explain this more in the, in the weeks ahead, but suffice to say for now, and why I want you to get this is because it's important for our story, that when you read the New Testament, well, you see a genuine movement of churches starting to be planted all over the Mediterranean. Lots and lots and lots of them. There does seem to be certain churches that God raises up in geographical areas that serve the purposes of the church in that, la- in that part. And these were what we would call um, apostolic hubs. Now, the word apostle is a sent one. Somebody had sent. And these are churches that have got so caught up in the movement of God and what he's doing in uh, particular areas of the world that they have become sending centers, missional training centers to send out workers into the, into the, uh, into the harvest, to reap souls and to see churches planted. There is a reason in the New Testament why Paul spends two years at Ephesus, why he spends 18 months at Corinth, and why he spends lots of time at Antioch and always goes back there. Because these churches became orientating places for leaders to orbit around and for disciples to be made and sent out into the frontiers. And we just feel that God has given us a heart to serve the church in Ireland. And as God has called us to do that, we believe that it's really, really important that we take that serious. And we felt him giving us this word to bar to, um, to, to define everything that happens beyond Lurgan. And so with all of that in mind, it hopefully makes sense to you when we say our vision as a church is to help rewrite the story of Ireland, of Kurgavan, Ireland, and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. Hopefully that's starting to make a little bit more sense to you given what I've said. Now let me bring it back to Kurgavan here for the last five or ten minutes. Um, in order to do that, we felt that there is something about this area that is quite key for the nation. That's what we believe. Now, I know most preachers who lead most churches around the country probably think that their area is quite key to the nation, right? And it probably is. We, we really think, right, there's something about here, this particular area, with the history that has uh, surrounded it, and part of our story that is quite key to the nation. We think there's a microcosm here in Kurgavan of the strongholds that exist right around the land. And that if we can see a level of breakthrough, if we can see the kingdom break in in ways that have never actually broken in in this area, it can unlock something to see an awakening of God around our nation. Right? I've, I've said it, right? That, that's, what we, that's what we believe. And so as we've been thinking about that, and we thought about that for many years, we started to explore that. We felt there was something about important about drawing Lurgan and Portadown together. The strategy over the years of how we've done that is to try and get prayerful unity amongst the churches and the leaders in the town. And we've had a real measure of success of that in Lurgan. And we've seen some of that happen, and some of that has been going on in Portadown in smaller ways and faithful ways for many years. But we just felt the Lord was saying it's time to move on that again. And so we never really thought about planting a church in Portadown before. But we felt God was starting to say, I want you to take a stock of what you've been doing and plant it in Portadown and actually move into the area and begin building a base there. And as we prayed about that, we started to feel that God was confirming that. Prophetically, we started to see two towers that would be connected somehow, that God would do something between something in Lurgan and something in Portadown that would be key to the wider area. And as we prayed about it, the Lord gave us prophetically in a time of prayer the picture of the London Tower Bridge, which looked like for us a way that God was saying that he wanted to establish in Portadown something that mirrored, although was different than Lurgan, 
But the key was, you can see this bit at the top that connects them both, a, a prayerful unity, a keeping watch over the city, a sense of um, in the spirit, God doing something deep. And if we did it at the top, then it would open up all sorts of a flow at the bottom for kingdom resources to flow back and forth between the two. And all sorts of possibilities and opportunities open up because of that. And so as we were thinking about this, we felt that God was calling us to go against, in the spirit, the natural flow of things where there is a reproach, where there is laughing and taunting and competitiveness. God wants to go against that and go for loving unity. And so it doesn't seem to me that then it would be any coincidence, as we thought to think about that more and more, that Chris and Debbie and, and, and the vineyards here in, in, in Upper Bound Vineyard story would start to weave into here. Surely it's no coincidence that for God, who wants, I think, to establish something that goes against the natural flow of division and competition and laughing and, yeah, division, that he would actually want to start it with the people that would go against that that he would want to start it with the people that are not prepared to say no surrender, but are prepared to say surrender. It sounds to me like a prophetic symbol of what God would really want to do if he could get a people that were prepared to give up their place of privilege, like Nehemiah, who would give up their place of comfort, who would give up their titles and all of that in order to pursue a different way, which I think is the Jesus way, which is not just to... to to, to grab our fists together, but to, to kneel and to walk in a different spirit and in a different way that we would become one. And as God has been doing this, I've come to realize that God, like he does, has been setting us up all along. He, he's been in it all without us knowing. Did you ever find that in life, in your own life, that you wonder what on earth God's playing at or why he'd be taking you down a particular bunny trail, and then you start to realize, oh, right, this is, this is what this was all about, I love this quote from Walter Brueggemann. He says this, We do not always see the gifts of God in advance, but given a perspective of faith, we can see in subsequent reflection and discern the amazing movement of God in events we had not noticed or even assigned to other causes. The amazing movement of God with the perspective of faith, we see the gifts of God in advance. And it seems to me that God here is looking a people who will provide a prophetic symbol amongst a people of what he wants to do in the city. That's essentially what we think God's doing. A people that will be prepared to embody and incarnate the way of Jesus and how they love one another that will affect the whole city. Because if we can see it here, we all of a sudden have started already weaken the principalities and powers. We've already started to weaken the, the wicked forces that want to keep us apart. We've already started to embody and incarnate something of the way of Jesus. And it's, that's the kind of love that conquered the grave. That's the kind of love that the Father could look at and say, I can vindicate that love and raise it from the dead. And in doing that, conquer sin, death, hell, and everything that would keep us apart and bring reconciliation to all men. That's what we want to be. And of course, the story of Upper Palm Vineyard weaving into our story isn't a recent thing, even though we've journeyed it for many years. We've journeyed as friends for a number of years, knowing that our vision was pretty much the same, but not really sure how it would come together. But in fact, when we started to talk about this a little bit, Chris and Debbie and the wider team in Upper Palm Vineyard, we started to remember Chris actually in his journal three or four years ago had a picture of two towers, which we'd forgotten about. Back in January 2003, Chris had given uh, Philip and I and some of the leaders our word about Lurgan and Portadown being like two rivals, David and Saul, or David and um, Goliath, uh, David and Saul, sorry, but how God wanted to make them like David and Jonathan. And then in February 2005, a picture of two towers came about uniting the city, and we started to realize, oh my goodness, God seems to be doing something here. And we do not know the amazing gifts of God in advance, but with the perspective of faith, we can look back and see the amazing movements of God. And so now here we are, a family, 
of people following the promptings of the Spirit, listening to God. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for trusting our leadership. But thank you for trusting God, more importantly. Thank you for being open to what the Lord wants to do. I have a bit more to say, but I'm going to leave it the next week and just finish with this verse because we're kind of out of time. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, it tells us, if you shift down there, uh, Johnny, the Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us this. It tells us that Nehemiah rebuilt the wall with all the people until all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. My sense is that what we've been doing for 21 years or so in Lurgan and what some of you have been doing for 11 years or so in Portadown, it's, it's kind of like God saying we're, we're halfway up. There has been, there has been breakthrough. People have been glorious saved in the last 10, 20 years. There's a food bank in Craigavon. There's, there's counseling services that have been set up. There's been hundreds of people baptized. There's been school projects that have started. You know, we know of 80 young people are being mentored every week in schools in Lurgan and Portadown. We're seeing missional communities set up in some of the most broken parts of, Glen, of Craigavon. In North Lurgan, the reproach is being pushed back. The reproach is being weakened. We're halfway up the wall. We've got, we've got a bit to go. So here's a question. Who's in? Who's in? Yeah. If you're not in here, you need to be in somewhere. Because it's your purpose. It's the call of God in your life. We're going to give it everything we've got to build this wall right up so that this area doesn't never, ever need to be a reproach anywhere. Because we're now we're in a new stage of the building. But it's so exciting, isn't it? Because now we're better and more equipped. We're better, we're better because we're together. There's more people. There's more resources. There's more skills. There's a, there's a pool of people willing to see something happen for the glory of God. And so I uh, hopefully there's a picture there of base camp, I think. Is there? <clears throat> Somewhere. We're kind of a base camp. There we are. Got our little tents out. It's a bit like here, isn't it? It's just sort of pitched the tent for a wee while. It's also cold. <laughs> you see the snow on the mountains. thought it was very relevant for this morning. We've a wee bit more to go, don't we? But like, we're going, to, we're going to give it everything we've got. And here's the other thing. It's going to be lots of fun trying. It's going to be lots of fun trying. And so let's work hard to have lots of grace for one another. Let's become good friends. Yeah? Let's become good friends. Let's just make sure that if we give this a real go, that at the end of it, we'll still be friends. All right? There's a good, there's a good vision for you. Just try and still be friends with the people that you're doing with. with. You'll have some disagreements and all of that. But just make sure you work hard, still be friends. They used to roll the old Apostle John out. He was the last one before they died. Last one of the apostles to die. And when he was about 80 or 90 years old, they used to carry him out. And they used to think, wow, here's John. Here's the one that's seen Jesus. He's the only one left that actually saw the risen Lord. And used to bring him out and wait for this real big kind of preach. Come on, John, preach it to us. Sort of Apostle Father John. And he'd come out, and you could imagine probably a big white beard or something. And he'd been sitting there, and they would have been all waiting for him to share all these amazing things about Jesus or all this amazing sermon. And he just asked him, come on, John, speak to us. And he used to say this, little children, love one another. For that is enough. And you can see them all probably slightly disappointed, you know, but tell us, John, how we're going to change the world and just love one another. Love one another. And then he would have went back and, I don't know, did whatever he did, 
wrote another couple of pistols or had visions of the Lord and all of that. But when it came time to preach, love one another. And so I just feel like that's what the Lord's calling us to do as a people. I'm going to ask Dossie just to come and lead us in a song as I pray, if that's all right. Um, I have some, I have some stuff uh, to share more next week about how that vision translates into practices and values and then how we'd love you to get involved in those so please do come back um if you're up for journeying with us next week and uh, we're going to hopefully leave some time at the end for you to respond to that in some practical ways um, but for now i just wanted to try and get us to a place where we understood who, who we are and the significance of the story to date because i think that provides a symbol for what god wants to do in this city why don't you stand to your feet with me? Could we do that? <clears throat> Let's just just take a moment and I just just to make this a little bit personal in terms of response as well. I'd love it if if, if you just feel this morning a sense of reproach in you. You know what it is, and I just want to break that off your life. If if you want to do that, ask the Spirit of the Lord just to come to fill you afresh, to liberate you, to be his son and daughter the way he has called you to be. <clears throat> God, I just want to thank you for... Lord, the, the, the truth that you just bring us to these places uh, like Gilgal, where you're actually not prepared to let us go any further until you deal with the reproach that we're carrying because you know that that's not what you want us to bear, not what you want us to carry. So, Lord, I pray for your sons and daughters in here this morning. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would begin to roll away reproach. God, uh, shame. I feel like there's... Maybe some people right now and um, just broken relationships in particular has been something that have caused you to carry reproach. Um, and, and God, I, I just want to pray that right now that you would break that off, God. Break that off, your sons and daughters. Re- release release people, oh God, today. I pray that you give them, uh, Lord, a, a sense of what you're doing, how you're changing and transforming their hearts and their lives. And how you're changing the way of their thinking by hearing that they are yours, God. And that, Lord, that you have despised the shame, that you have endured the cross. And, God, I just pray that right now that you would bring a release of your presence and your peace. That we would hear your voice in Jesus' name. And, God, as you do that in our lives individually, we pray, Lord, that you would do it all over our town and our city. Lord, that we would become... We have become <laughs> passionate about the place where you've called us to live. Lord, we would become angry in a righteous way when we start to see reproach over people, people in coffee shops and in Tesco's and in our schools and in our classroom. Lord, young boys and girls who walk into classrooms and feel reproach, who feel less, who feel not valued, who feel weak. And all of those things, oh God, that the enemy would want to steal and kill and destroy with. And God, we we start to pray in your life, oh God. We start to pray in the abundance of life that only you can give, God. Into our hearts, into our towns, and into our city, God. And God, I just pray even this morning too for anyone who's here who... Who, who has borne that reproach partly because they've just never trusted in you, Jesus. They've never known you. I ask that even right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just draw them to yourself, God. That you would bring in men and women, God, boys and girls who just don't know you yet, Lord, into your kingdom. Thank you that you've made that possible through Jesus, what he's done on the cross. And today that by simply confessing our sins and accepting as you save you, we can, we can become known as yours. And so, God, I pray that you would do that. And Lord, for those who have done that and got away a little bit, I pray that you just warm up their hearts this morning, God. That they're never too far away. That the reproach is never too great for you to break, for you to completely liberate, and for you to bring home. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you. And Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one we could ever see. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, oh, we live for you, sing holy. In holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And I will build my life upon in you alone and I will not be shaken and I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes and wander and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around.
will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation, and I will put my trust in you alone, and I will not be shaken and holy. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me and who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Just remain an attitude of, of worship. Um, I think at the start of this year, God really wants to, to set us free, com- to be completely free, to step into everything that he has for us. Um, whatever is holding you back, whatever you feel is holding you down, a sense of reproach, a sense of brokenness in, in who you are, and the idea of us stepping into something new can't happen until you experience that freedom. So we're just going to sing that over ourselves now. Um, and just whatever it is that you feel has got you bound up, bring that to the feet of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is There is freedom Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom with Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom reigns, and freedom reigns in this place. Showers of mercy and grace. Falling on every face, there is freedom. And if you're tired and thirsty, there is freedom. If you're tired and thirsty, there is freedom. Give your all to Him and give your all to Jesus. There is freedom. And give your all to Jesus, there is freedom, freedom reigns, freedom reigns in this place, showers of mercy and grace, falling on every face there is freedom freedom reigns in this place 
showers of mercy and grace falling on every face there is freedom sing Jesus rinse and Jesus reigns in this place Showers of mercy and grace Falling on every face He is freedom Yes, Father, we just thank you that you have come to bring us complete freedom. We speak freedom over hearts and minds today. We speak freedom from the pain and brokenness of the past. We speak freedom for 2018 to live in the fullness of God, of what you're calling us to. We break the power of shame right now in the name of Jesus. And we speak in and we declare the spirit of adoption over this place, over every life that we may fully live as sons and daughters of the living God. And that spirit of adoption is the same spirit that we carry with us to see Portadown, Lurgan, Craig Avon step into the fullness of who this city is and what this city can be and what it will be. Lord, we ask that the spirit of adoption would rise up in your children and we would carry that spirit with us to the lost and the broken in our communities, that we would declare that people are seen, that they are known, that they are loved, that they are of worth and of value, that Craig Avon is a good place. It's a great place. Lurgan and Portadown are wonderful towns with wonderful people in them, that if the spirit of the living God is going to rest and reside in anywhere, it's our town. It's our city. Because this is the city of God. And it will no longer stand under the name of shame. But we will declare and we will adopt Craig Avon. And we will say, this God is your city. It's your city, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We'd love um, to pray with you this morning. Uh, as we're as we're closing, if you'd like prayer ministry, please come to the front. Just over on this side here, uh, a couple of people will be up here to help to pray. But we'd love to pray with you, particularly if God's been speaking to you this morning about something. And uh, we'd love to see you here tomorrow, uh, next week, not tomorrow, next week, next Sunday morning at uh, half past ten, but also at seven p.m. next Sunday night. This is a new announcement, so listen up. Next Sunday night, 7 p.m., we're going to be having a time of worship and prayer, a little bit of teaching and ministry here. Um, next Sunday night at 7 p.m. So next Sunday night, you come through the door in the other building and into this unit this way. Um, next Sunday at 7 p.m. Please pick up your children, sign them out from Children's Ministry. Hang around for tea and coffee. We're going to put away the, the last few rows at the back. So if you're sitting down currently, the last few rows you're going to have to move. We want to create a little bit of space for us to hang out and